Hi, welcome to the Bioinformatics Chat. Today, my guest is Antoine Limassé. Antoine and I will be talking about read correction and about his new tool, which is called Bicol. Antoine, welcome to the podcast. Hi, nice to meet you. Let's start with, with your background. So I'm a computer scientist. I started to uh, study uh, theoretical uh, computer science at the uh, UNS uh, Cachan and Rennes in France. So I, I was I started as a pure computer scientist, and at some point I just wanted to do practical computer science, and I learned about bioinformatics because I always liked uh, biology and uh, genomes and stuff like this. So I just so uh, yeah, I just discovered the fact that we could do the both thing, and I made uh, some internship in bioinformatics, and I just never stopped. So uh, I continued uh, my studying uh, computer science, and I made all my internship in uh, bioinformatics, working on uh, uh, as assembly or indexation of sequences. And then I just uh, made, my, made my PhD thesis on uh, new methods to exploit the sequencing data using the brain graphs. <laughs> I think we will be talking about this. And uh, I just finished a postdoc uh, in Brussels this year, working on the assembly of heterozygous genomes, so with Jean-Francois Flo. And I just got, in fact, I just got a, a, po a position here in the French CNRS in Lille, right, uh, starting this, uh, this autumn. So I'm really, really happy about this. All right, congratulations. Thanks. So um, your recent work is on read correction, right? Mm -hmm. How did you get to, to that? What, was it your uh, first subject inside uh, computational biology or what was your path to read correction specifically? My PhD thesis was focused on uh, how to use so the brain graph to find new methods uh, and new application of the, of the brain graph to, to handle some um, uh, problem about sequencing data. Uh, related to assembly. So, uh, to be more precise, um, I start to, to study the, the question on uh, about how to align reads on the brain graph, on the, and in, in a more general way, how to align sequence on a graph of sequence. Okay. So, I focus on the brain graph and I build a tool that were that were able to align short reads from the uh, next generation sequencing technology on the the brain graph, which is a graph used in genome assembly. And we got so many, it was really hard uh, to, to, we were really excited about uh, these uh, methods, but it was really hard uh, to get published because people were saying, uh, okay, this is new, what, what are the applications? And we were saying, we, we could think of application on assembly, on read correction, on compression, but people were saying, yeah, but, but yeah, that's uh, in the future. So in fact, I started with this method and it was harder to publish. And, Right after I, I started to, to do some work to show how this kind of uh, method, so read alignment on graph, could be used for many applications. And here uh, I will be talking about uh, read correction. Yeah, so uh, th there is a lot to unpack here. You, you used a lot of terms that may be unfamiliar. So let's start with the read correction itself, right? It is what it sounds like. So you, you take... Uh, uh, sequencing reads and you correct the possible sequencing errors in them but but also like some people might 
think, oh, this, this sounds like a panacea. Like you could, so for example, in one of uh, my previous podcasts, I, I talked to Chang Shu about using unique molecular identifiers to correct sequencing errors in order to uh, discover rare variants. And uh, one might think, well, you, you don't need UMIs, you just correct the reads. It's as simple as that, right? But uh, specifically, recorrection uh, is a problem that arises in the context of um, genome assembly. So maybe let's talk about the limitations of recorrection, why it's not as widely applicable as one might think, but is specifically important in genome assembly. Okay, so first of all, yeah, the main application of read correction is uh, genome assembly, because uh, in order to perform a good correction of your reads, so we, here we will be talking about next generation sequencing reads, so you typically got um, reads of hundreds of base pairs, so 100, 200, something like this, uh, you, you will often got a very high coverage of your genomes. You know, maybe you will got uh, 100 uh, more uh, nucleotides than your genome size. So you expect each uh, region of your genome to be um, covered by like 100 reads. So you have a huge redundancy, okay? And in your, um, in your NGS reads, you got approximately 1% of bases that are wrong, just because the sequencer usually make mistake. And using the redundancy of the information, you will try to uh, detect that at this point, this read may be wrong. And you will try to change uh, the, the nucleotide in order to match the other, the other one. But of course, its application is limited because most of the time, many tools uh, expect uh, higher redundancy and uh, try to handle the sequencing error by themselves. And there is another uh, point is that most users are afraid uh, of read correction be because if the error correction creates a chimera, then it may impact or hurt your, your for the further analysis because uh, we expect the noise of the sequencing data to be uh, yeah noise uh, to be uh, uniform. But if you correct, you may introduce uh, a bias into your data, and many users are afraid of this kind of um, of bias that you may introduce by correcting your reads. Yeah. So if we think about some other uses of uh, next generation sequencing, like maybe RNA seq or chip seq mm -hmm. or something like that. Uh, first of all, you don't presumably have enough coverage to perform good recorrection. Uh, and uh, also, it may be just much cheaper to align it to the reference genome than to, to you know, assemble the drawing graph, which we'll uh, talk about in a minute. Okay, you, so you, you talked about uh, RNA. That's a, that's a cool, cool uh, transition because uh, actually I'm trying to see if we are able to apply um, the BCool method into uh, to correct uh, error transcriptome, uh, trans transcriptomic data. The problem with transcriptomic data is that you don't get the, this uniform coverage. So at some point you may you may lack a good depth in order to uh, infer what is the, what is the good, what are the good sequences and what are the, the wrong sequences. So, yeah, here it's, I, I would say it is really harder, uh, it, it should be really harder to correct uh, transcriptomic data. 
let's also formally define uh, the problem of genome assembly. What 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 is that, and when is it needed? So probably a lot of people know about the uh, Human Genome Project, which was highly publicized. But someone who works on on humans may think, well, we we already have the reference genome. Mm-hmm. Why do we need to to assemble something else? Okay, I will start by, by trying to define a genome assembly. So um, the idea of genome assembly is that uh, you got, um, let's say you have a genome where you don't have a reference genome as, I don't know, a new a new species that you want to, to, to die because you are a biologist, for example. Uh, the first thing you are going to do is to sequence it. So you will get, uh, so you will use a sequencer, you will put some cells, uh, into the machine, and it will give you uh, sequences, uh, so A, T, C, G, things like this. But uh, obviously, sequencers are not able to uh, sequence a whole genome in one shot. So basically, you will get uh, DNA sequences that are uh, subsequences of your genome. And the, the trick is that you have no idea where those these sequences. Uh, came from in the, in the genome. You don't if you, you got the sequences, but you don't know if it's from the beginning, the middle, or the or the end of the genome. And the goal uh, of uh, an assembler is to get all those uh, reads, all those uh, subsequences of your genome, and try to re- reorder them uh, in order to uh, reconstitute the, uh, the genome sequence. So it's like, like like a puzzle essentially. And after that, you have other problem like uh, you have sequencing errors in your reads, so some bases may be uh, wrong, and of course sometimes you you can't infer uh, all the genome sequencing. So, uh, it's in, for example, for the human genome, you 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 don't have just one sequence. We have some uh, some parts that we call contigs or scaffold, and we we are not really sure on how we should order them on. What is in the what sequence are between uh, the sequences? Give us a very high level overview of the modern algorithms for genome assembly. What do people use nowadays? Okay, so nowadays most people uh, try to uh, perform assembly with uh, what we call long reads. So this is uh, long reads that are. Uh, that counts, second counts, thousand of uh, base pair. So basically, you will try to uh, see which reads can uh, overlap each other. And if uh, a read uh, share a very large overlaps with another, you, you will say that maybe uh, after the read A, there is the read B. See what I mean? So using overlaps, you may uh, you infer that the two reads are consecutive in the genomes. So you compute all overlaps into a, what we call an overlap graph, and you, and you try to find uh, what the genome sequence could be. And if when you are unsure, when you don't know if you, if A should follow uh, B or C, you should stop instead of doing a mistake. Yeah, so th- that that's called the overlap layout consensus algorithm. Yeah. Uh, okay, so what what are the alternatives to that? Um, for for short reads, for example, the most efficient way um, to assemble a genome is, uh, is to use um, what you call a debris graph. So here, it's because uh, if you use short reads, you will you may got, for example, billions of reads. So if you have to compare each reads to uh, all the other, it's really really um, 
computationally expensive. So you don't want to compute all the overlaps between all the, the read pairs. Okay. So uh, one trick uh, that, are, that have been, that has been found is to use what we call the bring graph. The bring graph is uh, also a sequence graph uh, that is used to perform uh, the, so genome assembly. So the idea is that we are going to uh, look at the world uh, that are that uh, that are inside uh, the reads that your sequencing data. So you are going uh, uh, to look at each uh, so world that we call Kmer, so world of lens K. So you are going to look at all the all those worlds that appear in your in your dataset, and you are going to say if two worlds uh, overlaps of K minus one, if the, if two uh, worlds overlap almost completely, then they are connected in the debris graph. So the debris graph will be a graph where the nodes are K-mers and the edges will be a K minus one overlaps uh, between K-mers. And um, the trick is that just by making this graph, you are going to, um, the two reads that overlaps at least of K nucleotide will be uh, successive uh, into the debris graph. So in fact, just by building uh, this graph, you kind of compute the overlaps of at least at least k nucleotide between all the all the reads. Right. So the De Bruyne graph here plays two important roles. First of all, it lies under the uh, genome assembly algorithm itself, uh, but also your algorithm for read correction is is also based on the De Bruyne graph, as you, as you already mentioned. Why do we need to correct? sequencing errors why why is it so important in genome assembly and specifically in in assembly based on debron graphs okay that's a that's a good question because it's especially important for uh, the assembly with the brain graph so the trick is that uh, what is the question is what is hard is genome assembly uh, in genome assembly what is uh, really hard to handle are repeated sequence across the genome so if you have a sequence that appear at uh, several position in your genome uh, it is what it will be really hard uh, to to assemble why is that so it's because uh, if you got a read uh, you don't know where it come from. So it can, it can come from the first repetition, the second repetition, or the third repetition, uh, etc. So uh, in your graph, it will create a, a situation where you got a, a repetition that will uh, got several uh, sequences that can go before and several sequences that can go after. So really got, uh, you will have uh, before one, before two, the repeats, after one, after two. So, and here you will, you, you have no idea, uh, if, if your repeat is, is, for example, larger than, uh, your reads, you will have no idea how to connect the, the before to the after. And this is why, uh, the, some assembly will just have to stop. And this is why we are not able to perfectly assemble, uh, a genome. So repeats are, uh, repeated sequence across the genome are the reasons that, uh, we can't perfectly assemble a genome. And in the debris graph, the problem is that uh, each uh, repeat larger than k, so the the size the size of the world we choose, so the camera size, um, each repeat that will be larger than k will be a problem in the debris graph. Okay, so maybe a source of fragmentation. So if you so you will want to use uh, the largest possible k for the largest possible camera size in order to uh, have as a low amount uh, of a repeat situation. 
So you want to use the, the largest possible camera size. And the problem is that you just can't choose a very, very high camera size because of the error rate. Let's say, uh, okay, you have, um, you have, let's say, 1% uh, of error. If you choose, uh, I don't know, K to 100, then you are very, very likely that all your camera in your reads contain a sequencing error. So the, the, the camera will not be a word that came from the genome, but will be a word that, uh, that, are, that don't exist in the genome because it will contain we expect that it will contain at least a sequencing errors. So if you use a, a too large camera size, your camera will basically be uh, erroneous sequences. Yeah, so uh, it, when we construct the De Bruyne graph, we sort of rely on the fact that the um, overlapped parts of different reads will collapse into a single node or a single edge in the, yeah. in the De Bruyne graph. And if you have at, at least one error in the camera, it's already a different camer. So it's yeah. a completely different node in the De Bruyne graph and this collapsing doesn't happen. And this this is what is important for the assembly algorithm. Yeah. And if if you have, let's say, one person error, so you will have to choose a camera, uh, a camera size adapt to to this error rate in order and in order to get enough uh, genomic cameras or cameras that don't contain uh, an error in order to be able to build the brain graph that contain hopefully all the genomic cameras and contain a low, uh, a low amount of uh, erroneous camera. And if you, let's say, if, if you didn't get any uh, sequencing errors, then you could, or a very low amount of sequencing errors, you could use a larger uh, camera size and then you will get a less uh, repeated repeat pattern and that you will be able to build a more contiguous assembly. Sorry, I just forgot to say that uh, I spoke about the brain graph, but even uh, so, at the beginning, uh, we didn't we, no, we didn't use the brain graph to assemble genome. We were computing overlaps between all the reads and compute uh, an assembly like this. And even uh, in this situation, even using the overlaps layout consensus paradigm, it is very useful uh, to correct uh, the error that are in the reads because uh, if uh, there is a one percent error rate, then you have to compute overlaps with uh, an edit distance between the possible um, possible overlaps. But if your reads contain very a very low amount of sequencing errors, then you can uh, ask for extremely precise overlaps. So you can go faster by finding uh, relevant overlaps. So in fact, at the beginning of um, of the the, the short read assembly, we were correcting uh, the reads in order to be able to focus on a very precise overlaps between the read and to perform this step, this crucial step, faster. Yeah. So the need in error correction was recognized very early on, and uh, mm -hmm. the the early uh, papers on the genome assembly already contained some uh, simple algorithms to perform yep. this kind of error correction. So what, what were the early methods for uh, error correction? So in fact, there were three uh, essential categories uh, to correct uh, reads. There were uh, the use of a suffix array. So you would uh, construct a, 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 like a suffix tree uh, of your reads, and you would try to, uh, to find if uh, your reads would match to a... Um, to, many, to the, the suffix of many other reads, and if uh, you were close to a, 
to a sequence that are that were highly present in the sets, you will try to correct them. Uh, there were also techniques based on multiple alignments. So basically, you are, you will have to uh, align many reads. Uh, together and try to find if they are they all agree on a sequence and if there is one read that uh, that uh, that say a while while the others say t then maybe this is a, that's a sequencing error and we will try to substitute the a for t but the the most used methods nowadays is uh, based on the on camera spectro- spectrum techniques and e- even now uh, when you read the review most uh, most techniques and the, the more the more efficient technique are based on the camera spectrum ID. Yeah, and camera spectrum is also pretty easy to explain compared to the other two, right? So why don't we just uh, try to explain it to, to give some understanding of what was popular before yeah. or, or even right now? Yeah, that, that's, in fact, camera spectrum is a, is a very, very uh, simple ID. The ID is that uh, when you are, you are going to look at the camera of your read file, and since your read file is highly redundant, uh, you expect most genomic camera to be present. Let's say you have a coverage of 100. You expect most genomic camera to be present like I don't know, 60 times, uh, 70 times, 80 times, uh, in your, in your sequencing data. So you are going to, to, to count all the words that appear in your, in your read set. And then you are going to see that some uh, camera will be uh, highly abundant in your, and those will be, are uh, very likely to be genomic cameras. And on the other hand, the erroneous cameras will be present like one time or two times if you are not lucky because they are just noise. You see what I mean? You take a genomic camera and you modify it, but there is a priori no reason that uh, it match another genomic cameras. So just by looking at uh, the, the camera abundancy, you may be able to distinguish genomic cameras because they occur a lot in your, uh, in your read set and erroneous um, camera because they will uh, occur just one or two times. So the idea is that you are going to separate your camera in two categories. The first that will be called uh, solid because they appear a lot uh, in the read set and the other one that will be called weak because they occur just few times. So you will have uh, some trusted cameras and some uh, cameras that will not be trusted. Okay, so uh, once you have uh, inferred this set of uh, trusted or solid cameras, you are going to look uh, uh, at your reads and you are going to see that some um, some camera of, of your read will be trusted and some will not be trusted. Because if you've got, uh, when you will have a sequencing error, all the cameras that contain the sequencing error are, will be most of the time weak. Then you, you will be able to locate the sequencing error because it will be covered by weak camera. And then you will try to uh, change uh, this, uh, the, the, the suspected nucleotide in order to uh, cover your reads by uh, uh, solid camers. And so regarding this technique of uh, camer spectrum uh, read correction, in your paper you point out four uh, possible issues with it, right? So weak genomic camers, solid erroneous camers, errors covered by solid camers and nearby errors. Let's maybe walk through them and, and explain a couple of words uh, what those issues are. Okay. So in fact, uh, you you may make, uh, at, the, at the beginning, you may make two kinds of mistakes. Uh, for example, the first mistake uh, may be to, uh, if there is an error in a that is seen many times, 
because uh, it's uh, origin from a repeated uh, highly uh, repeated sequence in the, in the genomes. So as a neuro new scammers may be trusted. Okay, so this be I call this case a solid erroneous scammer. Okay, and the problem is that if you look at your at your reads, you will see that uh, you will you will not see any problems because you are going to look at the erroneous scammer and you say, okay, no, this scammer is trusted because I have seen it many times in my read set. So you may don't not correct this kind of uh, of, of sequencing errors. So this is. One case, the opposite case is the weak genomic camera. So let's say uh, your coverage is not that high and you have uh, a camera that is genomic that appear in the genome, but that occurred just a few amount of time uh, in your read set. So here, this is the, the opposite. You will look at a, at a read that don't contain a sequencing errors, but you will see that some uh, camera uh, will be untrusted and you, you may try to correct uh, some sequences just because it, they are not covered uh, enough by the, uh, the other reads of your dataset. So those are the two, let's say, easy errors. So basically, if you got a very, very abundant uh, dataset, you should not have this kind of problem because the, the, the higher the, uh, the coverage, the easier it should be to distinguish genomics from Arrhenius scammers. But there is another problem that, are, that occur around a repeated uh, sequence. Uh, let's say uh, you got ATCG and in the other part of your genome you get ATCC, okay? And if you got sequencing errors uh, on the G and the G became a C. So in fact you got a sequencing error, but the ATCC is also a, a genomic camera because it appears in another part another part of, uh, of your genome. So you, you will trust this uh, ATCC despite the fact that, is, that it contains sequencing errors. You see what I mean? Is, isn't the same as uh, solid erroneous camers or what's the difference? No, because here, um, so, so you have ATCGs that become ATCC, but yeah. ATCC will is a genomic camers because it appears in the genome. So ATCG and ATCC looks alike because uh, there, there is a repeat uh, that is ATC. Yeah. And by chance, the sequencing error uh, change a, a genomic sequence in another genomic sequence. So you don't detect the errors because you, you are just looking at the world and not at the context. Okay, so, so the solid erroneous camers arise not because... Uh, these alternative cameras are also genomic, right? They arise yeah. for some other reason. Because you have, um, you have seen this uh, specific camera many times in your data sets. Because, uh, yeah, because you... Uh, just just by coincidence. Yeah, by, by chance. Okay. And here, here the problem is that uh, ATCC, ATCC, for example, will be uh, seen many times in genome because it is a world of the genome. And this is a, uh, and, uh, the problem here is that... Uh, uh, that ATC is a repeated sequence in the genome. So the more uh, repeated your genome will be, the, uh, the higher uh, chance you will uh, have to get this kind of patterns. For example, uh, we, we took an example of a uh, lighter, so a very good uh, error uh, corrector. Uh, if you run it on sim with simulated data on the CL against genomes, and at the end, after the, the correction, you will only get 3% of reads that still contain an error. So almost a perfect correction. 
But if you run the same uh, algorithm on the human genome, so a more complex and repeat-rich genome, the number of reads that contain at least an error after correction is 40%. And in fact, the more complex, I mean, and complex, I mean repeat-rich, the, your genome will be, the harder it will be uh, to correct this kind of sequence. Right, and and so you attribute that high error rate to the repeats. Yeah, because the problem is that it is hard to correct around the repeated sequence of the genomes. When you are close to a repeated sequence, it, it will be hard to, to correct the, the error because you just the camera spectrum just look at the world of the genomes and don't look at the context. Right, that makes sense. Okay, so we covered the, the three of the issues, so weak genomic k-mers, the solid erroneous k-mers, errors covered by solid k-mers because of the repeats, and the fourth one is nearby errors. What, yeah. what is that about? This is a, another problem of a camera spectrum is that uh, they, they expect most sequencing uh, to precisely locate uh, and isolate, uh, well, for example, they say one sequencing errors. And since, uh, and so they, they are searching for, so one sequencing error will create uh, k minus one uh, contiguous uh, erroneous k-mers if uh, of the perfect cases. But if you got several sequencing errors, it will be hard. You will get a large region of um, weak camera, and it will be hard to know how many errors there is uh, inside these regions and how to correct them efficiently because uh, you know that there is uh, many sequencing errors in this zone, but you can't tell how much, how many, sorry, and you are not really sure on how to correct them. Because you don't trust any basis that is covered by uh, sequencing uh, by weak cameras, but between the sequencing errors, you may have uh, accurate base, but you have no way to know for sure that they are accurate. Right. So normally, when you correct uh, the reads using the camer spectrum, you have this camer that uh, that occurs very few times in the in the spectrum. And uh, you look for the camers, other camers that are solid mm-hmm. and that are maximally similar to this one, right? So you you're looking for the lowest number of changes that you need to make to this camer to to get some other camer, right? And so you're saying that when this number of needed corrections is high, then that presents a problem. The, the, the problem is combinatorial. You have to. Theoretically, you should uh, try to every uh, substi- possible substitution in the region, and if the region is large, then you, you should check many, many, many uh, camera uh, solidity. And in fact, it uh, it may be intractable if the region is large. So most camera rely on the greedy heuristics, but I mean those are greedy heuristics. I'm wondering, it's very similar to a simple mapping problem, right? So you could use the same techniques from the mapping problem, like sit and extend. Yeah, yeah. The, in fact, that's quite similar to, to mapping. You are we are searching for the minimal distance to make it look like something we know. So yeah, yeah that, that's look like an problem. And in fact, the the, the corrector of Angli called the BFC try to uh, explicitly correct a read as a whole by finding the minimum edit uh, distance to match to only uh, things that are considered correct. I wanted to ask how you arrived 
at the De Bruyne graph correction as, as a solution to this problem. But from what you told me before, it more sounds like you already had this method and you were looking for, uh, for the applications, right? Yeah, I've made a method able to align uh, reads uh, on a debris graph. And my point was like, was that uh, a debris graph, uh, it's quite easy to to construct a good debris graph containing most uh, genomic uh, k-mers and uh, while containing very, very few, a very low amount uh, of erroneous k-mers. So in fact, a debris graph uh, is a, can be seen as a reference that is quite easy to construct because, um, okay, if you build, uh, if you want to infer a set of uh, trusted k-mer, you just rely on the abundance. You see what I mean? You just say, okay, this k-mer is low, so I don't take it. This k-mer uh, is seen many times, so I take it. Uh, if you, when you build the brain graph, you can include many k-mers, even, uh, k let's say, k-mers with medium abundance, and uh, you will, you can look at the graph and detect uh, Cameras that are very likely to be sequencing error, despite, uh, for example, they, their high abundance. So, in fact, it is easy, easier to build a good, uh, to infer the, a set of genomic cameras using the brain graph than just uh, the camera spectrum, because you have a topological aspect on the brain graph that you don't have on the camera spectrum. Maybe let's start with how you build the brain graph, right? So you just, for, for every read, you extract uh, all the uh, strings of the length k plus 1, and each such string gives you uh, essentially two vertices. That's the first gamer and the last gamer, and the edge um, between them. So you just add those to the graph, and once you add everything, and... Um, you know, vertices, they collapse if uh, the same k-mer occurs multiple times as the single vertex. And there you have your De Bruyne graph, right? And then you do some post-processing on the graph. You do some kind of cleanup, right? Uh, can you talk about that? Yeah, I can uh, talk about that. So the idea is that the De Bruyne graph is a graph that's try to order to, to order the world uh, of the, the K world, the K mer uh, of the genome. And so the very good property of the Debring graph is that just by looking at the Debring graph uh, topologically, you are going to see uh, many, many uh, things that are very likely to be sequencing errors. For example, if uh, there is a sequencing error at the end of a read, it will create uh, like uh, a small dead end in, in the graph. That's so uh, a path that don't lead anywhere. And you don't expect to see a path, a short path that don't go anywhere because uh, the brain graph should stop like at the end of a chromosome. So you don't expect to see a short tip like this. So you, you can just remove uh, this kind of patterns. And just by uh, doing that, you are able to remove uh, most sequencing errors, for example. Yeah, that, that's a very neat idea. And the idea there is that the sequencing error, when you look at the De Bruyne graph, it could result in either an alternative path, this mm -hmm. sort of like a, yep. a, a a loop, or I don't know, how do you call it, a bubble? A bubble or a chip, yeah. Yeah, or it could result in this dead end. Yeah because it will not connect to the other genomic sequence because it is another sequence that only comes from uh, the genomes. Right, right. Uh, and uh, and the difference between those two is that if um, if the error is somewhere in the middle of the read, which is separated from the ends, at least by, by K uh, nucleotides, 
then you can transition into the error via correct gamers and you mm -hmm. can transition out of the error via correct gamers and so it it becomes sort of integrated in this de Bruyne graph but if it's close enough to the end of the read then you can get into it but you can't get out of it via a correct gamer right and this is where this idea of using the high value of k comes mm -hmm. into play yeah. because the higher your k the higher the probability that the sequencing error will be at most k nucleotides to the end of the read exactly with a higher camera size you will get most of your sequencing errors that will, be, that will become a, a tip but so the tip is, is really the, the, the easy uh, errors to remove uh, but uh, if the sequencing error is in the middle uh, of the read it will create, create a bubble and here uh, you have you will see a, a bubble in your graph with two paths and you know that one is incorrect and the other one is correct so the question is how do you choose and here uh, we rely on uh, what i call uh, unity or uh, should i say path abundance so we are if in the camera spectrum just say if uh, this camera uh, if a camera is seen the more than five times then i keep it uh, if not I, I just reject it uh, we are doing something a bit uh, smarter. Let's say we are going, uh, so the two paths we are going to, to make, uh, to compute the average abundance from each pass. So, uh, we compute the average abundance of uh, the Irenaeus pass and the uh, genomic pass. And we expect, um, the average abundance of the genomic pass to be very high compared to the Irenaeus pass. Because of course, the, those uh, who came from the, the genome should be highly abundant. Right. So when when you're looking at the camera spectrum, you don't have any context. You see only only this camera, but you don't see the the neighboring cameras. Yeah, you don't have the context exactly. But in the De Bruyne graph, you could average is is the same number. The so the abundance you're talking about is just the number that this camera occurs in your sequencing data. But you could average it across several neighboring gamers yep exactly and this has two advantages the first advantage is that you may save a genomic camera that has a low abundance but it's neighbor which got neighbors that have a high abundance and you could also remove an erroneous camera that has that have a medium abundance but with its neighbors that should have a low abundance just because we average the abundance on the on the simple path yeah, so this estimate becomes more more robust, more reliable. Exactly. So it's most robust because we uh, use uh, more context than just a, a raw camera uh, filter. So do you have some kind of threshold uh, for the average abundance, or do you always remove all but one paths? Okay, um, to be very precise, we first, so we build the brain graph. Uh, we may remove, for example, cameras that are unique because we really don't believe that we should uh, keep them. Then we perform a TIF removal and then we compute, uh, the, the abundance of each uh, simple pass of the graph. And we apply, uh, this threshold on this kind, uh, on those simple paths. So on the average abundance. Yeah, that, that, that's a threshold, and you could um, infer the threshold just by uh, looking at the, you, uh, the. You could plot the distribution, see uh, see unity that have uh, so plot the, the abundance uh, distribution, and see which 
and try to infer which uh, threshold could be uh, a good uh, separation just by looking at the, at the edges spectrum. And so at this point, you have a choice. You could either try to use this graph to correct your reads, so align mm -hmm. the reads on the graph, um, or you could say, well, I already have a De Bruyne graph and mm -hmm. I already cleaned it up. And so I have this clean De Bruyne graph. So why don't I just move on to the exactly. uh, assembly? That's a very nice, uh, very nice question. Most uh, people say, yeah, you have a De Bruyne graph. So basically you are performing assembly. But in assembly, sometimes you may depends on the way you want to assemble. For example, some people uh, want to ignore the heterozygous uh, information and crush uh, the bubble uh, that are generated, let's say, by uh, uh, variants in your genome, if you are deployed, for example. And some say, okay, we want to keep it. So just building a brain graph for me is not uh, performing assemblies, the first step. And in fact, um, we believe that uh, mapping the reads uh, on the, the brain graph could produce a good uh, assembly. And that's just, uh, another project uh, of my of my group. Yeah, and also the reads themselves contain extra information that is lost uh, when when converting to De Bruyne graphs. So if you correct exactly. the reads, right, and then uh, while assembling, you could check if, for example, all the correct corrected reads um, actually occur in your assembly, because you could arrive at the assembly from a De Bruyne graph, which is consistent with the De Bruyne graph, but not consistent with the reads you have, because reads inherently have more information because they're just longer than your camera. Yep, exactly. How does the process of aligning the reads on the drawing graph, how, how does that look like? Okay, so here there is no real uh, novelty. It's kind of a seed and extend strategy. So basically what we are going to do is to uh, index uh, some anchor, so sequence uh, that uh, appear uh, in the brain graph. Uh, so the point is, the important point is that those anchor can be smaller than K. That's uh, the important point. And so let's say 21, 31 as a, that's a parameter. So by default, I think it's 21. So we are, let's say 21, we are indexing the 21 mares uh, that, uh, that appear uh, in the, the brain graph. And we uh, remember at which position, so where in the brain graph uh, they, they appear. And uh, to align a reads under the brain graph, we are uh, searching for anchor in the read. If we find anchor, we know that uh, there is uh, the, a begin uh, the beginning of the possible uh, alignment, and we, we will try to extend the alignment and to see if it results in a good in a good mapping with uh, let's say a naming distance of one, two, etc. And we will try uh, to align the read on different paths, uh, considering its anchor, and keep the best alignment. Does the alignment have to be on a simple path, or could it? span across the branching points? Thanks, that's really a, a good question. At the beginning, we are, some people um, would say that, yeah, we choose just align, uh, we could just align the, the reads on the, on, the, on the simple path of the brain graph. But uh, in fact, uh, this is not enough, especially for uh, complex genomes, where the brain graph is really fragmented and where most uh, simple paths are smaller than a read. So in fact, yeah, we have to we start, uh, we can start at the, uh, let's say at the end of uh, one simple path, and then we'll try to extend the alignments and, uh, and by choosing the neighbors 
uh, of a node. So we uh, we will try to extend uh, on the node uh, that continue with A, and uh, we will try also try to extend uh, with uh, the nodes that start with T, for example. And we'll keep on again the best um, the best mapping. Previously, we talked about the four issues with the Kamer spectrum method, and I think we we already covered some of, some of these. But I think it's just useful to go through them in order and and to say how your method uh, fares better on on those issues than the Kamer spectrum. So first of all, weak genomic Kamers. So in fact, the two first problems: the weak genomic Kamers and the solid Arrhenius Kamers. So those are just uh, the problem of uh, inferring chemers that are genomics and infer uh, which chemers are not genomic. And in fact, just because uh, we build the brain graph and we use a topological uh, heuristic to remove sequencing error and to keep uh, genomic chemers, uh, we have uh, shown that we were able, using uh, the, the, the cleaning of the brain graph, to uh, remove more sequencing error and to keep more genomic cameras than just um, than, than a camera spectrum approach. So, in fact, we have less weak genomic cameras because um, we keep more uh, low abundance genomic cameras, and we have less solid erroneous camera because we remove more cameras uh, that may be uh, of medium abundance. So, in fact, those two uh, problems are not solved, but um, less encountered because we build a better state of camera using topological heuristics using the brain graph. Yeah, and, and, and also the averaging helps, right, to, to determine exactly. the abundance. Yeah, and this is because we use the brain graph that you can average using the, the neighbors. Yeah. This is because we have a topological, a topological argument to say that. Right. And so what, what about the errors that are covered by solid chimeras uh, because of the repeats? Okay, so here this is because of the mapping. So um, the, main, the main problem of uh, camera spectrum technique is that um, they, they have a very good practical value that is 31. Because uh, if you use a camera spectrum, you, you are not able to use a large camera size. Why? It's because if you use a large, uh, very large camera size, most of your cameras will contain sequencing errors. So you will have less errorless camera, and it will be harder to uh, locate error because you have less errorless uh, camera to, to rely on. And the larger the, the camera size you will choose, the more uh, very hard cases you will find, like multiple errors in, in cameras or reads that don't have any um, uh, errorless cameras. So in fact, uh, if you try to use a camera spectrum with a high k value like 63, it will not work at all because uh, the the very good practical value of k equal to 31 is fits the error rate of uh, the NGS dataset. If you if you go higher, you will uh, you will not have enough error, errorless cameras, and if you go lower, you will have more repeated uh, more problem related to repeats. So this is a huge problem uh, of the camera spectrum. It, it, for me, it's a, really a limitation of the camera spectrum uh, correction. But if you use uh, the brain graph, then you, if you have a very um, covered uh, data set, then you may be able to construct the brain graph with a very high camera size, like say 60, 70, 80, and you can, you can even go higher if you have a very good coverage. But this is because uh, our alignments 
to in order to 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 be able to correct a read, we should align it uh, on the graph. And in order to for the alignment to work, we just need to find a, an anchor that don't have uh, sequencing errors. So and here the anchor is not related to the camera size. So let's say uh, your K is a 63. So and the, the anchor you will use is maybe 21. So for if you correct by aligning on the brain graph, you need uh, uh, let's say a 21 mirror that don't have any sequencing errors. When you want to correct with a camera spectrum technique, then you need multiple uh, cameras that are that, that don't contain errors. So in fact, using our brain graph, we are able to uh, use high, very high camera size, and then you to be less sensible to a repeated region, and then to perform a better correction. Right, and so the the last point is nearby errors. How does uh, De Bruyne uh, correction deal with those? Yeah, here, the, in fact, the, this is the, the best example of why uh, the alignment is uh, easier because we have the context. Uh, if there is like three uh, errors uh, that are uh, on a, in a row in our alignment, it don't change anything because we will say, okay, we have uh, this uh, mapping that uh, that got three errors, but it's, it don't change anything. We'll just choose the best. Uh, the the alignment that uh, got uh, the lowest amount of errors, but if since we have the context, we could say okay, even if there is three uh, three uh, three errors here, it's still the best mapping, so we should uh, we should keep it. So here we, it's the, the problem is knowing the existence since we align the, the two sequence together since we have a reference and the and, and the read. Yeah, yeah. So the uh, your your query is just larger. You have the full yeah. read as opposed to a single camer. Exactly. And uh, I really want to insist on the fact that the, the main, because, uh, okay, in the paper, we, present, we, we show that we got we are able to perform a, almost an order of magnitude uh, better correction. But the, uh, for me, the main reason is that we are able to use a higher cam- camera size, because, once again, to, to, to correct a read, we just need to be able to align it. So we need a, an anchor that is errorless. Why uh, the, the, the camera spectrum need a camera that is errorless? So camera spectrum can't use a high camera size, so are will be sensible uh, to repeats if so that, that are let's say medium sized. And if you use uh, our, our method, we are able to use larger camera size and then to be less sensible. Uh, to the repeat problem. And this is why uh, we have very good results, especially on a genome like uh, uh, the human, where you got many uh, repeated sequences, because we are able to use a larger camera size, so we are less sensible to, to the repeats. This is, the, I think this is the main, uh, the main point. So we mostly talked about correcting uh, the base calling errors, where you just switch one base for another. Do you try to deal at all with uh, insertions or deletions, which are not not that common in the short read NGS data, but perhaps more common in in the long read data? Okay, so there is uh, two things here. First, it is it should it is interesting to align. Uh, it should be interesting to align on the deletion and. Uh, considering insertion and deletion, because you have uh, like uh, the Bio Pacific Bioscience reads that provide short, uh, accurate reads that contain insertion and deletion, and we may want to correct them uh, using this kind of technique. 
but we have no technical limitations that uh, the alignment uh, steps that I made that is called the big rate uh, do not handle yet uh, insertion or deletion. So we are just uh, computing uh, amming distance. So we will never uh, yeah, consider uh, insertion and deletion. So for now, it is impossible. And because at the beginning, we were really focused on the correction of Illumina reads that mostly contains uh, substitution. But it, it definitely sh should be interesting to correct, uh, let's say, CCS uh, sequence for, from PacBio. Uh, but uh, you were talking about the, the long reads, and here I think it's just another... Uh, another application because the uh, long reads contain a very high amount of uh, errors, so I don't think uh, our alignment should be uh, satisfying. So we, sh we should develop a new aligner that uh, are able to align long noisy reads uh, on graph. So maybe the burn graph, maybe on uh, another sequence graph. But yeah, that's basically perspective we should uh, we should explore. And also in the paper, you talk about the algorithmic approach to the selection of the Kamer size. Uh, could you talk about that? Okay, so here we want to use the highest possible Kamer size in order to, to have a, a low amount of uh, repeats in uh, our the brain graph in order to be able to, to get a, a very, yeah, the best, the best possible correction. So we are, our goal is to use the highest possible camera size but if we use a too large camera size uh, we may uh, we may have, have hole uh, in our graph and we don't want that so it's really uh, a trade-off because um, if we put uh, k too low okay we will have all the dynamic cameras but we may have some we may include some repeats and if the the k is very high we will have less repeat but we may uh, miss some cameras. So the idea is should the user select a camera size or should we should the, the, the software choose himself? Because the size of K selected is really uh, critical for the performance of the, the, the tool. So the idea here is that we are going to plot several um, camera camera spectrum and select the, the one that where we expect to be able to, to perform a good separation, why? And we will select the ones with the higher camera size. Because at some point, if K is too high, then you, you will not be able to distinguish the two, the two peaks. Because in a camera spectrum, we expect one very large peak of uh, a renewed camera, then a kind of a calm, a calm belt where you have almost no camera with a medium abundance and then you expect a second pike uh, with uh, all the highly abundant dynamic cameras. Right, so so the two, the two peaks correspond, one, uh, the, the first peak corresponds to the, roughly to the error rate yep. and the second peak corresponds to the coverage. And if you use a larger K, the two uh, peaks will be closer and at some point they will be almost merged. And here you will not be able to say if a camera is uh, an error or uh, agenic cameras, and if you use a very low, a very low, um, uh, yeah, yeah, basically the, the, if you use a low camera size, you will be able to perform a very good distinction, and the the higher k, the, the closer the two peaks will be. So we we will plot several camera spectrum and try to select the one where we are confident that will be we will be able to separate the two. Well, and still, we want to use uh, the largest uh, camera size. 
Yeah, and, and that procedure does not only give you the camera size, but also gives you the threshold that you can use to separate those and to filter out the rare camers. Yeah, and it's highly uh, inspired by uh, Camer Genie. That is uh, yeah, an analysis of a camera spectrum in order to uh, select the good camera size to use to perform uh, the Bruin graph assembly. And of course, uh, so basically we made a camera genie uh, that is somewhat, uh, that performs a somewhat uh, simpler analysis. Well, that, this sounds very cool, like almost revolutionary, right? Um, are there any caveats? Because it almost sounds too good to be true. Are there any uh, downsides to this algorithm? Okay, I will, I, there is one downside compared to the state of the art is that camera spectrum techniques are extremely efficient, like really, really, really efficient. Uh, I, will, I have an example where Lighter is able uh, to correct 100x uh, human datasets using 10 gigabytes and 5 hours. So it's lighting, lightning fast because they perform extremely simple operation, in fact. So they just have to index worlds uh, in a set, like a Bloom filter or something like this, and you just perform qu uh, query on, uh, uh, on, the, on the camera of the read. They can do it in parallel, etc. So they are extremely efficient uh, in, in both the time and memory efficient, while be cool, I have to uh, construct the brain graph, clean it, and then align uh, the read and then. So I would say that the caveats of uh, Be Cool right now is that uh, it's not that efficient. Uh, we, we are still able to correct uh, to, to correct the human genomes, but it uses several more memories than any other uh, uh, tools. So how, how long does it take? So we have an experiment on the human genome where it took for 100x, it took like uh, one day to correct. 100x uh, dataset from the human, so it's still okay. That that's not too bad, right? One day compared yeah. to five hours. No, no, no. That's not that's not too bad. I mean, we are we are quite satisfied with it. But this, yeah, this is not lighting fast for like the the state of the art. Especially since then you still have to perform the the assembly itself, which is presumably not not exactly fast, right? Mm, yep. And another, uh, yeah, let's say a personal criticism is that. Uh, most uh, assemblers are made to manage, like, let's say, 1% on 1,000 uh, error rate. So, in fact, even if you correct uh, very well your read, it doesn't make that much of a difference between, because a camera spectrum, even if it uh, divides the number of sequencing error by 10, even if we could divide the number of uh, error by uh, 100, it don't change that much because uh, most tools are, in fact, um, able to handle s some sequencing errors. Mm -hmm. So just performing a really, really better uh, error correction don't help that much because most tools are, in fact, yeah, made to handle those errors. Yeah, it's, it's like the law of the diminishing returns. Yeah, exactly. But uh, we are, I'm quite confident in the fact that for larger genomes, like, I don't know, uh, I worked on the Pine genome, that is uh, 20 gigabytes uh, long. Uh, or, I don't know, we, we may have heard of uh, Paris Japonica, that is uh, Flower, that is the largest uh, sequencing uh, sequenced uh, genomes, that is 150 gigabytes uh, long. So a huge genomes. So we found a chromosome in Paris Japonica that is in fact larger than the human one, the human genome. So 
I'm confident that on this very large genome, we will see the interest of uh, a better error correction because I, I expect that uh, camera spectrum will perform quite bad on the, the genome. Oh, very cool, Antoine. Um, very uh, impressive work. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see if it gets incorporated into all the major assemblers. That, that would be cool. <laughs> yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you for listening to me.